0: In the Law & Order podcast genre, most people avoid starting on an episode about genocide. In The Good Apples, the most complicated event of the last few decades seemed to be a good start, since Dick Wolf also did it. These are their stories. done, done. Okay. we're Dun-dun. Dun-dun.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to The Good Apples, a podcast about Law & Order SVU real-life events that inspired the show and the worldview of the man himself dick wolf i am josiah
2: i'm Kamara.
0: i'm josh and i'm jackal well welcome aboard everybody and uh today we are talking about episode one of season one uh this is the only bit of a chronological order i think we're gonna do from here on out we're gonna be hopping around the show but we thought it would be appropriate to start with the pilot episode and talk about the bastian genocide (laughs)
3: Look, if Dick Wolf decided to start off like that, why not follow in the man's footsteps?
0: <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, we've poked around at some of the other Law & Order SVU like podcasts out there and nobody is bold enough to start on the actual first episode because, but we are, but we are.
4: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it's wild how like not prototypical this is of the rest of the I show know. like it's a deeply idiosyncratic episode <laughs> it's not like uh,
0: other episodes at all
2: it's, Yeah, not, it's definitely yeah. not it's definitely not and it it stands out because this first episode is written by dick wolf none of the other episodes going forward are often written by dick wolf he kind of comes in here and there as a writer but he doesn't write every episode so this is a distinctly dick wolf episode we, we really get to see his his artistic talent shine in this episode, I think. I think
0: so. Uh, he, he's, you you uh, do. Really, <laughs> he's good at uh, stealing <laughs> the best parts of other police media, um, or rather other crime fiction, I should say. That's what I learned from this, is what he did is, uh, we'll get into this more, but it's just steal from a lot of other crime fiction, but then make the cops absolutely the good guys on it. <laughs>
4: Um, (laughs) (laughs) you will find that this is a consistent facet of Dick Wolf's ideology
0: he's like oh I'm basing this off some like brilliant giallo or something and then you watch it and it's like okay yeah you took the plot for that giallo and then (laughs) Made the cops the good guys. <laughs> you know, I'm
3: really enjoying yeah. this uh, this noir book, but you know the, the police seem a little too inept. I'm going <laughs> to make them the good guys. Yeah. ambiguous here.
2: <laughs> I mean, as as uh, we're going to get into this episode, that's exactly what he does with the movie Sleepers. Uh, yeah. For this for this first episode of Law and Order, is he gets a lot of the structure of Sleepers for the for the Law and Order episode Payback.
4: Yep. Yeah. Uh yeah, and just like thoroughly uh removes any sense of like uh moral ambiguity. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh or mistrust of institutions. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a little more though. I will say this one is still a little more ambiguous than other future episodes too, though. And I'm kind of interested about like Dick Wolf. Why did he decide to do like one slightly morally ambiguous about the cops episode to start the show off, but also to kind of be like, don't worry, we're never going to do this again. We'll get back to that. But that's basically <laughs> like he almost literally says that in the episode. We'll we'll get back to that. But so moving forward and actually getting into the episode, I guess we start off with the, the question, right? How do we get to the first episode of Law & Order SVU, right?
2: Well, I will say that um, this particular episode was filmed in 1999, in September, um, and this is, to kind of place it in a historical context, uh, is right after the Bosnian War, a couple of years after the Bosnian War happens, and it's a couple of years after the 1996 book, The Sleepers, came out. Um, and The Sleepers was a very popular book at the time. Um, and both events would have undoubtedly been in the headlines in New York. So those are that's kind of the context that we come into this episode with, is right at the backdrop of the Bosnian War. And there's this book that everyone's talking about, The Sleepers.
0: Yeah, so it, it is distinctly like a product of the late 90s, for sure. Um, everyone is thinking about this shit that just happened in Bosnia. If you were a news watcher, which, which SVU was trying to attract that audience. So, you know, stripped from the headlines, right? But um, yeah, that combined with the famous memoir that was kind of going around at the time.
4: Yeah, that it, it's the, the, the connection seems tenuous, but it is wild having watched Sleepers last night. Like, yeah, how much of a stylistic and narrative influence it is on the episode. Oh, I'm glad you got a but chance it, to
0: actually watch it. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. good, right?
4: I, I at least yeah, I pretty it. good movie. Pretty good movie. Uh, easy to see why it was like a bit overshadowed uh, by the end of the '90s, but like mm-hmm. really solid, uh, you know, historical drama slash legal thriller that would have just killed at the time.
0: Yeah, because uh, yeah, Sleepers is... Uh, I, I don't know if we... I think we've kind of been interchangeably talking about the book and the movie. I should clarify that. Yeah, so there is a film adaptation of the memoir Sleepers that is... I don't know. We'll get to it a little bit later. But it's I would consider Barry Levinson's Goodfellas, but about uh, prison rape. Um, so I don't know what to do with that, but that's kind of what it is. Um, it's pretty good. It is actually pretty good. Um,
4: yeah, definitely. The... Well, is it the Well, I suppose we should like summarize the episode before we kind yeah, of we dive probably, into yeah, the themes, we, which is where the sleepers conversation will make more sense. All
0: right, so let's dive into the episode. Uh real quick, Jackal, why don't you tell us about the cast for this episode? Of
3: course. So, uh so we're not going to list every character that appeared in season 1. We're just going to list the main permanent players introduced in this very first episode that for the Benson and Stabler era play a pretty big role. So, we have Christopher Maloney as Detective Elliot Stabler.
2: Daddy! No! Oh,
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I was hoping we would be able to get through one episode without that, but I, 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 don't think can, I don't think that's possible.
0: So, we got Stabler.
3: We got Detective um, Elliot Saber. Ina-
2: I'm here for the inappropriate comments, you guys.
3: <clears throat> Mariska Hartete as Detective Olivia Benson. Richard Belzer as Detective John Munch. Dan Florick as Captain Donald Don Cragen. Uh, Gorda- Gordana R- Roshovic as Anya Rugova. Dean Winters as Detective Brian Cassidy. Michelle Hurd as Detective Monique Jeffries. Woo! Isabel... (laughs) yes uh will not come out of season one well unfortunately because there's lots of racist stuff Um, r.i.p r.i.p that's the
0: thing (laughs) r.i.p
3: really should have lasted longer Isabel gillies as kathy stabler elizabeth ashley as serena benson the one time she appeared in the entire show
2: yes notably notably so
3: we will talk about that later because that's something i I would like to bring up but this is the one time this character ever appears in the entirety of law and order of uh, f this is the only time this character appears in law and order svu is this episode and that's it ned eisenberg as jerry kleinert tina benko as mrs panacek ronald goodman as the gallery owner mark zimmerman as mr dupree angie herm harman as ada abigail abby carmichael millie avital as marta stevens leslie Hendricks as uh emmy dr elizabeth rogers pj brown as bremer Ramsey faragala as the taxi driver and i believe uh all right there's more but i think that we we're we're fine that's about that. it yeah yeah we, yeah. we-
0: I mean, we called out, we we gave a shout out to the taxi drivers. So I think we're, we're doing pretty good here.
3: Um, yep. Yeah. (laughs) I could also read the, the episode summary on, um, Oh, yeah that well. was
0: what we were about to do next so might as well yeah two
3: detectives from the nypd's special victims unit olivia benson and Elliot stabler investigate the stabbing and castration of a cab driver only to learn that that victim had purchased a phony hack license from an inmate at rikers island further investigation reveals that the dead man was a serbian soldier named stefan tanzik who had been indicted on charges of ethnic cleansing herself a child of rape, Benson. Benson has trouble separating herself from the case after realizing that the victim was a rapist. Sabler tries to keep her from crossing the line in her attempts to protect suspects whom she feels were justified in their actions. Uh, you can watch this episode and the rest of Law & Order SVU on either Peacock or Hulu. Whichever streaming platform is mm, your if you choice, and/or the, the one on, that you yeah. have free because I, of your cable.
4: Yeah, I mean the way the way all this shit works. I mean, who knows where it's going to be streaming by the time any anyone <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, popular show, fairly easy to uh, watch.
2: Find it wherever it is. You stream you know, uh, TV shows nowadays. It, it might
4: be it might be rerunning on TNT right now.
3: Oh, I guarantee <laughs> it is rerunning on TNT because that's where I watched most of Law and Order as a child. There,
2: there used to be a Twitter account that would tweet every time a Law and Order SVU episode was streaming on air, um, but the t- the uh, Twitter account has been inactive for a couple of years now. So. Unfortunately, it's no longer a resource for us.
0: Um, And now I guess we're just going to kind of go through the episode a little more slowly, but we're going to go on a lot of rabbit trails because there's... Oh, there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot... Uh, both just to talk about, but also it's referencing a lot of news and, um, you know, it'd be fun to talk about it, I guess, as a kind of a historical document. So, so we, we open up with just like right off the bat, um, this cab driver is found dead in his cab and SVU gets called to the scene and they're, you know, kind of just like wondering why the fuck they got called in because it's just like a, a dude got killed. You know what I mean?
2: Would we like to read a, a quote from the episode, uh, as the characters, Sure, i'm happy to it. play the role of uh, olivia benson
0: who wants to be stabler um i could i could be stabler and then uh frank bremer i'll be, I'll be frank bremer so you find a you find a murdered taxi cab driver
4: <laughs> okay so it's not a robbery but stabbings aren't necessarily sexual sometimes a cigar is just a cigar is there a specific reason you called us out? Whoever
3: did this life sliced off his cigar and took it with him? Is that specific <laughs>
2: enough for you? It works for me.
0: Oh, man. So, yes, that is right. This this cabbie has had his dick cut off um, by the murderers. So, there you go. I would also I... like
3: to note that on IMDB, one of the tags for this episode is penis cut off. <laughs>
0: What else is under that one? Let me bookmark that.
2: <laughs> I, I really appreciate that um, Elliot, we're introduced to Elliot. He's a veteran veteran detective of the unit when he gets introduced in this first episode. And the very first crime scene we get to see him on, he's like, why are you calling us out here? We don't need to be out here. This is not a sexual <laughs> case. Why? Why is this being an episode? And his whole cigar is just a cigar comment to me. It demonstrates that Elliot doesn't see sex crimes everywhere, despite being a veteran detective of the, of the the trade or the field, if you will. Yeah, um, this
3: is not the case later on in the Benson Stabler era of Law and Order, where by God, this man sees
4: sex crimes everywhere. <laughs> sees sex
2: everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there will definitely be a transformation that we'll see take place with Elliot Stabler.
4: Um, something we hadn't discussed uh, before, but you know, we, we kind of mentioned historical context and there's like a lot of you know, the basic, you know, ingredients for the conception of this episode being sleepers in the Bosnian war. Um but there, you know, we did we did talk about I think off mic at this point, um some of the uh, the Clinton impeachment. Um but this specific thing, I mean, the first thing people are gonna think of is John and Lorena Bobbitt. Like, mm. That was the, um, the the big uh, you know dude getting his dick cut off case in the nineties. Right. So, you know that's kind of it's kind of funny where he's sourcing his um, his red herrings and stuff for the the first part of the episode because it's that it's that classic format for where like that first fourth of the episode we don't really know anything about <laughs> you know it's it's a detective show, uh, <laughs> right? I was so, thinking uh, that's a kind mystery. Of- It's kind of interesting when you watch sleepers because
0: the main, you know, like it's, it's so obvious, like you're saying to point out like, well, this is a mystery show, not a thriller, but it is really funny to be like, oh, right. What it is, is this is a show set right after the thriller took place of people trying to figure out the thriller as like with sleepers, you know, I know, I know for a fact that Dick Wolf was watching sleepers and the instant that guy got shot in the dick, he's like, okay, but what if we cut it off? Instead of him getting shot. <laughs> yeah.
2: What if we made it more violent? Yeah. What if which, we made it more you know,
3: violent? Goes to the, which goes to like the thesis statement of Dick Wolf. That we've kind of formulated. At least, like, Josiah is the one who originated this. But I think that at least all of us so far kind of are vibing with it. That Dick Wolf in another life was an exploitation director. Because these mm-hmm. are the same impulses that exploitation directors follow. It's just that he did this on network television
0: and so because of that he can't have like a wax penis getting ran- yanked off a mannequin like it would be in an Though exploitation you know movie no he would if he could. oh he would if do he it he if he could. Oh, the yeah, opening 100%. of this
3: episode it, would have been that taxi driver black
2: and white damn
3: it yep, yeah it would be a black would, and white yeah, you would it, see like hands off screen manhandling the guy's groin with a knife
0: Yeah, it absolutely like if if, if Dick Wolf was allowed to be a 70s exploitation guy like I mean or 80s even like 80s exploitation guy like every episode of SVU would be like cannibal holocaust (laughs) (laughs) like like straight up like
4: this is a complete aside non sequitur, but I feel like there are procedurals that got there like I've seen clips Uh from bones that are just insane and the level of, like, graphic yeah. violence that got into some of those detective shows. Yeah, they were built the, on that
3: by SVU. SVU op- opened the door... Let me rephrase And, this. and mm-hmm. okay. SVU opened the door for later <laughs> okay, shows me. to get more violent.
4: Uh, yeah. Would you... I'm sorry, this is... You can cut this joke if you want to, but uh, so would you say SVU groomed us to uh, accept <laughs> more violence in our oh, entertainment?
0: You know, it, it's like probably. Not... I'm
4: sorry, everyone. No, it's okay. <laughs>
0: um, I think a- SVU probably did that, and then also like a lot of the medical shows. Like there is a bizarre universe. I feel like of four people identical to us making an ER podcast right now, or something like that. I think. I think that the you know the combination of like shows like house and shit like that with SVU, they collide and they create something like bones where it's yeah. like, it's both the cop show and we get to show you the gnarliest like surgery it, autopsy shit.
4: Right. It's, it's so funny how, you know, like uh, your average middle-class viewer will, you know, look at exploitation cinema or something is like crass, but then w- because these shows are about professionals doing mm-hmm. a job you can it's, okay. it's it's an excuse to indulge those pr- like i mean cuz that's what svu worked for me on some level uh as a as a kid right i mean it's that first you know ex- there's kind of a voyeuristic or, or prurient interest to the the deviant sexuality cuz there was just no yeah. open discussion of it in my household so then, the oh, so we can only talk about it when it's this perversion outside the home and yeah. not something that we'd have to contend with interpersonally. Uh.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: And I'd also say that that even extends into other, other crime shows of the era and a little bit after that were inspired by SVU. There was something of a voyeuristic attraction to the violence of it and how gruesome it can get like i i kind of think about criminal minds in that it is not a lot of the violence is off screen but my god do they talk
0: about the details mm-hmm. of look at, look at this weird thing this serial killer did to his victims ain't that wacky yeah and i would say this kind of also ties into like i don't know th- this is this is this is this, this you know exploitation sense of humor stuff like that the scene moving moving a little onto the episode here the scene where elliot stabler gets the guy to whip his dick out in court that's an exploitation movie joke like it would just actually (laughs) show the dick and the exploitation yeah yeah it
2: was that was an amazing amazing scene i loved it so much i loved everything about that scene
0: yeah it is pretty funny i will admit it is it is pretty funny yeah so so yeah what what is uh, god what is it elliot stabler is getting called on um to what he's on the stand and he oh god it's it's he what he just does is just you know to to make the case go quickly he just insults the guy who was being who he's accusing of like being a flasher and shit and says that he has a small dick a a bunch of times and then the guy has a meltdown and flashes his dick at the court and the jury and is like does this look small to you and (laughs)
2: <laughs> and it's such a good scene it is such a good scene okay. it is it just at the it's elliot taking a stab at his masculinity and the guy falling for it to the expense of his own court case
3: and this is something that's so weird about this episode is that on one hand this is an attempt to do a thriller in so- it is a thriller about the consequences of the Yugoslav war and the Bosnian genocide and people that have escaped the consequences of what they have done during a atrocity and the ethical considerations of the victims of atrocity seeking out revenge on the perpetrators and Elliot Stabler gets a guy to whip out his penis in a quarter. quarter. Yeah, like, there's it, such it's, a weird... There's some
0: tonal whiplash here, for <laughs> just, sure. Yeah. Really
3: wild tonal whiplash in this episode yeah. that just feels so and odd. I, <laughs> I don't know if it doesn't fit, because at Maybe this it point, works, the way that I the think. episode's aged, it all kind of meshes, but... I do wonder if you were watching this when it premiered, did this feel weird? Yeah, I feel upsetting or something.
4: Just along those lines, like the, the Benson Stabler dynamic is played a lot more for comic relief in this episode. And <laughs> like their whole dynamic is it's interesting because like there's there's so much of this episode that is really setting the template for the rest of the show, but it's so atypical in, in these in these strange ways. Like and, and a lot of it is Benson and Stabler's dynamic where you know, over the course of the show, he he becomes more of the impulsive, hot-headed one. But here, he's like the veteran, super competent white mm-hmm. guy who ha- who is taking the impulsive female detective under his wing. Who, who um, can't handle her emotions, right? You know, you know so that's what it seems to be. Yeah. So this this evolution, I think, like you know, is really one for the better. But it reminded me of um, like the difference between the first and second season. Uh, Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec where <laughs> first season they're really trying to do that oh she is like Michael Scott she's supposed to be kind of hateable and incompetent but the culture of the time was so against that like oh we don't need another bad feminine stereotype so then it kind of like was the prototype of the girl boss thing
0: and okay am i sexist for, for thinking that the worse. first season Actually, is better because of that since. yeah i was gonna say because it it ruins the satire when they start making her like anyway oh yeah no,
4: this it's, is it's, not it's, a, is that, not that a show, podcast about uh, parts of red <laughs> i know yeah that show is funny but it just like completely dude. it is funny yeah um i don't know just just a similar thing but like yeah yeah now Right, we have you know Stabler becomes the one completely ruled by his emotions, and 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 Benson uses her like her her feminine mystique and intuition to uh, to uh, solve crime.
3: Yeah, like Crimes. in later episodes. Well, well, we will get to them. But like in later episodes, like Benson is significantly, no matter the case, is usually pretty level headed about the nature of it, and doesn't even in some of the more horrific examples doesn't get too flustered over it and invested in it in a personal way um kind of the way that they're like the way that like the dynamic of benson sabler in this episode it's interesting like in later episodes like like you said just like they reverse this typical pairing of the old grizzled veteran cop and the new hire who you know is is gung-ho that's reversed in later episodes i think even the second episode after this one where Stapler is a lot more confrontational and angry and gets into this very quickly versus Benson who is more analytical on it versus mm-hmm. how it's portrayed here which is a lot more typical to how that kind of dynamic is portrayed and I I wonder with Dick Wolf setting this a lot of standard genre conventions up I wonder how much you can actually give him credit for the later subversions that they would do to him because it seems that that was the invention of other writers of law and order of flipping these genre yeah. conventions and giving these characters other facets to them that were kind of either missing in this one or not as emphasized as they would be later on yeah
4: to kind of answer that like i mean uh we're I, it, it's kind of funny leaving, at, at this outset, we're, we really want to treat Dick Wolf as an auteur, but in a lot of ways, the television is a much more collaborative medium than film is. So while he he is providing a lot of the vision, a lot of his talent, like that comes out later, why it's such a hit is he knew how to hire. He He was able to, you know, yeah, so we're starting out with this like very 90s cop show template using all these cliches. uh, But then he's able to see, okay, what are my what are my audiences resonating with and how do I hire to like kind of juice that up? And yeah, yeah. When you get, you know, probably by the second season, like, you know, it does settle into that dynamic because that's what the audience wants out of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's totally true. I, I think you're right.
4: And there's something
3: I, I, I want to bring up this facet about Benson, which is never brought up in... It is brought up in the entire series a lot. However, this is the first time that we actually see this character. Uh, Benson's mom is in this episode.
0: Yeah, you wanted to talk about that.
3: Yeah, because it for me, this is such a different version of the character and the relationship between these two than what is discussed in not even just the rest of the show, but in this season of Law & Order, the relationship between Benson and her mom is a lot more warm than mm. other episodes would imply that it would be. She's also alive. In yeah. the, I think she dies in this season of Law & Order. Yeah, it's or she, it's mentioned that she's died. Yeah, she only shows up really for this pilot. For a scene where I she's having dinner with, with a with benson because she's been promoted uh to being a detective in the special victims unit
0: pulling us back to the Elliot stabler court scene here real quick um chimera here you wrote down a scene you wanted us to recreate again here um i between did the defense attorney and stabler josh are you still stabler do you want to stay stabler <laughs>
4: um yeah i'll, I'll stay stay yeah you, yeah
0: you identify as stabler <laughs> Uh, yeah.
2: yeah jack well, would you like to would you like to be a defense attorney uh i i could a be the Woody defense, defense attorney oh, or yeah. Josiah i would, love would like to be to. oh
0: jack I would you know love what to be the defense attorney you gotta be you know as as we know dick wolf loves defense attorneys um so you does. really gotta get this really <laughs> no yeah. Um, yeah you have to be the most <laughs> despicable person in the world because that's that's how dick wolf feels about the defense um all right let's do this <laughs>
3: give me a second i'm gonna a swig of water and uh, let me let me get a voice for this uh, for this guy. Okay, all right. Yes. <laughs>
2: to get that I like how you right have then. whole characters for them.
4: I'm just all I'm right. just doing solid Snake, honestly. <laughs> 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 oh
3: man, this I I got an image of Christopher Maloney as in a, in a, like a a Metal Gear
4: adaptation, and man, that would slap. It would be so good. It would be so good. <laughs> he would do so you good. Could, you could. <clears throat>
3: Are you obsessed with sex, Detective? This is a volunteer unit, correct? Yes, it
4: is. Can you tell me why you volunteer? I requested the reassignment because sexually based crimes are a major issue in law enforcement. I think sex should be one of the best parts of life, not the worst.
0: Now, real quick, I do want to say that Stabler is correct, but not in the way that he means when he says that sexually based crimes are a major issue in law enforcement.
3: (laughs) Oh, oh, they are. But buddy, the call is coming from inside the house.
2: (laughs) And in fact, in fact, right after this happens, uh, later in this court scene, um, the, the defense attorney accuses Elliot Stabler of trying to be the Ken Starr of NYPD, and for those of you who don't recognize that name offhand, Ken Starr is the, uh, the judge and the attorney who authorized the Starr report, which brought forth the articles of impeachment on Bill Clinton. So he kind of was accusing Stabler of being some sort of political crusader against supposed sex crimes. And I will say, as a lawyer, that was an interesting move to make because he was able to belittle his own client's actions of being a flasher by being like, oh, what are you just and everything now?
3: Yeah. What do you do? Uh, what well, well, you're, you're telling me that in the year of our Lord, 1999, that a man cannot simply show his genitalia <laughs> Show, show, show off is what this, God gave is him. Is this political? This is political. <laughs> this is becoming Trump. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the, the voice was veering off into just being Trump. Oh, man. <laughs>
0: little Freudian slip there oh yeah (laughs) this scene is like so not important to the episode and yet it's the one that I feel like we're all drawn to right this second but because it's so strange um but moving away from that now um yeah and deeper into the episode uh you know Stabler and um Benson do some detective work and they discover that this cab driver here with his dick cut off, um, he he he's actually assumed the identity of another man to hide the fact that he is. Well, man, there's a lot of red herrings, so we can skip all the red herrings probably. Because what yeah, they say he's Czech is, for a while, you know. Yeah, there's that, well, a Serbian even, even
4: before right th- even before that, like before they they find out about the identity switch, because uh, it was the hack license was belonged to a gay man, so they <laughs> thought it was just like they're like, oh, it's just. It's just an F slur thing. It's just uh yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just uh, gay guys uh, killing each other. Many such cases. Big deal yeah. is kind of the tone. Uh, oh where, man! And, I mean, what Stabler sexually intimidates an inmate at Rikers Island. Uh, yeah,
0: some sexual tension.
4: He's such a right. Yeah, he's such an alpha male that like, yeah, that he that right. The man they're questioning just can't help but hit on him. Because, uh those gay there's men, some, you know. The, yeah, there's some sexual they though just in a in a
3: different in a different uh,
0: movie in like like instead of uh like like Bound being like the lesbian erotic thriller in the gay erotic thriller from this same time. Elliot Stabler and that guy were fucking immediately. Cuz like, oh man, there's oh, the, it actually has a little weird tension there. Oh no, the Stabler d- kind of flirts back.
4: Maloney's <laughs> Maloney's delivery of the line, "Oh, I'd hurt you," is incredible it's (laughs) It's, so um, i i also
3: want to uh i want to give a little uh in terms of christopher (laughs) meloni and homoeroticism um christopher meloni also was playing a character a bisexual serial killer in the show oz at the time where he where he was um for those that watch anime you will know the yandare archetype uh where he was this obsessive he was the obsessive boyfriend for another inmate who deliberately caused his parole to be violated so he would come back to the prison so he could be with him. God. I, he's incredible. I, I love him.
4: I love him. <laughs>
3: Renaissance man, um, Christopher Maloney.
4: Indeed. Uh, okay. So they find out, they find out the guy's real identity. He's not Czech, he's a Serbian war criminal.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I, me. I to. he's wanted a Serbian to... war criminal. I did wanted to speak to, uh, Stabler being convinced that the crime had to have been done by a man, um, or a gay man, in, uh, to be particular, um, or he even makes a comment that it could be a transgender woman who committed the crime.
0: And he uses Um, those exact words, right? No, no.
2: Um, no, he says it much more transphobically. (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) And everyone in the scene laughs at it, including Olivia Benson, which yeah. is really shocking because that is not the Olivia Benson that we stand.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is early season SVU. It's it's like uh, we were talking about this off mic, but it's it's pretty funny because well, it's 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 fucked up, but like you know like it just cuts to benson and she's just like ah, classic stapler like that's how she's reacting and like in the future they would usually have benson be kind of at the very least like maybe the buzzkill woke person you may frame it that way but there's still somebody in the room that's like oh come on don't say that please i think even in some stapler
3: is is the guys all right like, I, I remember, it's not in season one, but in later seasons, when transphobia comes up, Stabler is at least like, oh, well, don't say that. Like, come on. Like, the like, let's treat yeah. this as big like, um, like, Stabler in, other, in later seasons, when transphobia comes up, is at least like, well, okay, don't say that. Mm. But here, he's the one initiating yeah. this, which is really weird, because that's just not who these characters will be. Later, Later on, on, yeah, very. Well, strange.
2: And a, aside, aside from the homophobia and the transphobia that's loaded into Elliot Stabler believing that uh, it had to have been a gay man who did the crime, it, underlying that is also the belief that women are incapable of such violence. They find out that there were thirty-seven stab wounds and a you know a dismemberment of the genitalia. They don't believe, you know, Elliot Stabler doesn't believe a woman could do such a thing. And I, you know, I have to be on my feminist shtick here um, that placing women on a pedestal and believing that they can't perpetrate violence is a form of epistemic injustice in which mm. um, we believe that women can't perpetrate violence. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we <clears throat> fail in our, in our detective work as, as we see Stabler doing. Um, by by thinking that the the crime had to have been done by a man.
4: Sorry, another another bad joke. Yeah, it's either one whole man or two women did this.
2: <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's exactly what it ends up being, is it ends up being <laughs> a group two of women, women who did yeah. the crime.
0: But
3: this is something again that's subverted in, in later Law & Order episodes where you do have single female perpetrators.
2: Yeah, we um, will get to see some of those later. I am excited to talk about those.
0: Um, but yes, we we do find out that the uh, the that our, our victim here is in fact a Serbian war criminal through a lot of detective work that is kind of boring. Um, that unless you guys really want to f- fall on, yeah. oh, they think he's Czech and then they think he's a different ethnicity and then they find out that he's Serbian. Unless we can we skip all that. uh (laughs) i i I I
4: love the you know right the the bosnian war criminal serbian war criminals uh new american wife like no he was a good man all that stuff is just politics like
2: (laughs) just
0: oh
2: i love that she says that i love that she says that i like that
0: character a lot i mean actually i hate that character but i like hating that character yes exactly yeah, because she's like she. Yeah, so so yes, this this guy's married now. Or was was married his his, stuff, um, and, his
4: American trad wife,
0: his American trad, you know, blonde trad wife who, you know, initially we're sympathetic <laughs> to because, you know, the cops break the news that that her husband's dead and she's bawling and passing, you know, falling over on the sidewalk. And, and
4: also, they cut off his dick. <laughs> I just thought you should know that.
0: But then, once it <laughs> as it comes out that she's a she was aware of what he did in Serbia, you're just like, "Oh, cry all you want. I hate you. <laughs> like, <laughs> shut
2: up." <laughs> I I actually really appreciated that um, when the when his wife collapses at the news of his death, Stabler swoops in like a gentleman hunk, and mm, is like, "I'm here knight. to catch you." I'm here yeah. to catch you, nice woman.
4: Thank you, Elliot. I believe and protect women.
2: <laughs> I believe and <in> protect
0: women.
4: <laughs> Elliot Stabler believes women.
0: <laughs> okay, that's um, a future sticker, I think.
2: <laughs> he is a character that women were made to love. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: Elliot Stabler. Uh, yeah, a sticker that says Elliot, Elliot Stabler believes women is pretty funny. um so there's also um the b plot kind of going on throughout this episode that feels like it's mostly just like the occasional comedic uh like attempt at like i don't know yeah lightening up the mood between the whole bosnian genocide plot going on and of course we get introduced to monk oh man uh the best character
2: (laughs) um i have a quote actually if we'd like to hear a scene from munch we have uh three stars in this quote today uh, we have Detective Munch. If anyone is interested in that <clears throat> yeah, role, who wants
0: to be Munch. <laughs> I
3: I I can't. I there's there's so much. I love Munch so much. I I can't. Yeah. I, I cannot approach um, that. Uh, <laughs> I don't.
4: He's such a heightened character. He's hard to parody.
0: Yeah. I uh, yeah. He's already a parody of himself. Um, fine, I'll read him, and I'm not going to be attempting him at all. To be clear, I'm just reading this. You're just going to read the lines. I, I cannot do him justice. We also don't, have a, don't
2: try to follow. Don't try to follow <clears throat> the legacy of Detective John. I, Munch.
0: I
4: never will. I never will. Yeah. Rest so. rest in peace, Richard Belzer.
0: Yeah, you were out for a real
4: one. The one that technically
0: makes the X-Files and Law and & Order SVU part of the same uh, universe. So uh,
4: also, that, also Arrested Development. I can't let that We'd, one go. Uh,
0: we, we gotta talk about that at some
3: point. We, yeah, that's a future episode. We will do an episode yeah. about <laughs> the X-Files, Arrested Development, Law & Order cinematic universe.
2: Don't forget Sesame Street, you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, of
3: course. Oh, yeah, you, How yeah. can I forget? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm Munch. Uh, who who does who wants to be Cassidy? Um, I'll be Cassidy. You're Cassidy.
2: Okay. Um, and a, then and
0: who's, uh, who's the uh, uh, who's Jefferies. the other one? Uh,
2: I can be Jeffries.
0: A military plane drops JFK's coffin in the middle of nine thousand feet of water three years after the assassination. You don't find that suggestive? Perhaps even a tad bit disquieting? No. No. The Justice Department waits 33 years before they impart this tidbit on the American people, and then they say they did it because it wasn't evidence? What are you, sheep? Will you believe anything?
4: Bah! <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, you guys going to eat all this?
0: Suppose we say yes.
2: Suppose I'm just being polite.
4: Oh, that would be a first. That's cool. John doesn't eat vegetables.
2: Yeah? Yeah. The way I heard, that's the that's not the only thing John never gets to eat.
4: Ouch! Ouch! Yes, that's right.
0: the The black woman is incredibly sexually suggestive. Thanks. And I like
2: how they also just called her impolite in one scene. They made her sexually suggestive and impolite. How did they manage to do that in one scene?
1: And I don't know if we'll get
3: to that episode yet, but let's put it that, uh, let's put it here. Jeffries will leave law and order because she slept with a suspect.
4: Oh God, that's right. Yeah. yeah. She
3: leaves the, the special victims de- Unit because of that. We
2: definitely need to talk about that episode because that, that is just insane. The reason they, it's... we lose our first and last black female detective is because she can't help but sleep with the suspects in the sex crime department it's
3: insane that that even at this period of time in the 90s i feel like even in a white only writer's room of dudes who went to harvard
4: (laughs) there should be one guy (laughs) there that's like like, isn't this a little up isn't this a (laughs) guys what are we doing here this really this, this seems a little racist
3: seems a little racist and sexist are are we sure about this guys This is the one black female Um. character. Maybe we should approach approach her with some kind of, I I don't know, tact? But no.
2: Well, and the way they have her exit SVU is not just that she leaves the department, but that she leaves the department and she tries to sue them. She fails at it, but she tries to sue them. And then she transfers over to the vice department and she will make a later appearance later as a vice detective, but it is brief
0: oh good thing we got a little jab at you know having too many lawsuits in this country thanks dick wolf um yeah <laughs> thank you, thank you <laughs> what a fucking boring thing to always point to i, I don't anyway, that's a whole other conversation but um well i it, it is
3: well yeah. this all is relevant to the the weird neurose ideology of law and order and subsequently mm-hmm. dick wolf is that there is just strange attempts at social commentary and obviously this episode being about the bosnian genocide it this episode is a little bit more coherent than some in terms of the themes and messaging that it's getting across, but other ones you can tell are just Dick Wolf reading the newspaper and going, huh, what if I add that to, to my story? Yep.
4: Yep. yep. <clears throat> People will get this reference. Um, I, I just want to quick. I, so I haven't seen the show that's being referenced, but there is this Munch monologue, like this brief thing about like, oh, we have a bunch of like, Kitty porn we got to get rid of you got to take it to baltimore and then munch goes on his on his uh i will never set foot in the city of baltimore ever again and uh reveals that he was cuckolded by another member of his squad in the other show um and i just thought it was funny that like yeah it's it's like yeah of course you're going to be a conspiracist you were conspired against by people you trusted (laughs)
0: like that's true that's
3: So, true. I mean,
4: it's it's like, I, I mean, yeah, I love Munch, but there is kind of like, this is a personality type that has affected the course of American politics. Yeah. Oh, totally. These,
3: people, uh, these are people who currently are... are, are RFK um, Jr.
4: Democrats. Yeah. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: oh, man. Oh,
3: man. Oh, man. Munched the the
0: QAnon Q- Democrats. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
2: Oh,
1: munch, the munch the cuck
0: munch um, the cuck i i enjoy we don't
2: need to, yeah uh, i enjoy I, munch's appearance uh in in this episode even if it's just kind of as a side character oh um, yeah he's always he, fun he was just he was just fun um
4: yeah it's i i think we'll, we'll have to come back to it maybe maybe this is just me making a verbal note but i really do like in light of that i have found how like because i remember munch being a lot more empathetic in many episodes of the show and he is hostile to these women and it is because he is you know a man who feels symbolically castrated so he can't identify with them because they castrated a man
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you are right that he is one of the more empathetic detectives definitely in A lot of this we can chalk up to early installment weirdness, where just so much characterization is off from what would become the norm later on. Mm -hmm. However, Munch being an insane conspiracy theorist who is divorced and was a cuckold is something that's carried on way, way, up till when the character officially retires from from SVU. But he becomes a lot more... Empathetic to victims later on, at least like to their face, versus here he's a, he's a lot more hostile.
0: I'm really bummed out right now. I might cut this out. I'll decide if this is too much about myself to put in a podcast. But I'm really <laughs> bummed out by your description of Monk Munch also being a complete description of me. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
3: you are the you are the, D- the divorce uh,
0: cuckolded conspiracy theorist. Yep. Yeah, okay. You're the you're the Christian Munch.
4: Like, what uh, if Munch was Christian? What
0: Munch? if Munch was Christian?
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, evangelical Munch is a character we have to develop. I don't know yeah. where to start with that, but, but I'll,
0: I'll be cooking that one up for y'all. Keep listening to the show, and eventually I'll get my Evangelical Munch character <laughs> unveiled. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> We'll workshop it it's it'll come it, it's coming but um pulling us back then to the main benson stabler plot of course yeah so this is this whole thing the the wife of the cab driver is insisting that he's check but they're like you know they're double checking the paperwork they're getting to the bottom of it they're doing detective work and they are finding that this man was serbian as fuck and he m- murdered and raped a lot of people in bosnia uh, in the early nineties, so
2: not even just a lot of people, but specifically sixty-seven women. They note. yeah, yeah, sixty-seven uh, women. Oof. That not is, one, this... not two, but sixty-seven.
4: uh Yeah, all right. I, I'm I'm just gonna put this out there. Call call me crazy, but that sounds like a guy that deserves everything that happened to him in this episode. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah it, I, sure,
3: I, does. it, it sure does. It's hard not to feel to feel that yeah, this guy. This is a guy who probably should have been castrated yeah that fits
2: i'm i'm actually really glad you said that josh because benson has the same reaction benson is like she doesn't want to work this case at all she fucking hates this guy and she's like he deserved it he got what was coming and she does not not care for the victim
3: it's hard to feel that benson is not completely in that like watching this episode it was very hard not to feel that like yeah, Benson's. I wouldn't want to work this. It's somebody else. I, I, I do not feel that injustice was done. This is someone who had who had, had this it coming, coming to
0: them. and it was the failures of institutions to be able to actually deal with him that led women to have to take care of it much like sleepers which we'll get to more later but that's the plot of sleepers as well is look you know like we we the the institutions are not doing a good job at doling out justice and so we're gonna have to take this into our own fucking hands so yeah well uh, i cool. i
2: just think it's so interesting that um Benson chooses to sympathize with the victims. That is totally antithetical to her role as an NYPD detective who's investigating the death of Stefan Tanzik, the guy who got his penis cut off. And instead, <laughs> she's, she's, she sympathizes with the, the victims of, of Tanzik's crimes. And, um, she, she definitely has a believe victims first ideology that gets revealed in this episode is she hears, the stories of what happened to multiple women by uh, Stefan Tanzik, and she is so horrified by it. And she she definitely stands as a direct challenge to both the justice system and the testimonial injustice that happens against uh, Bosnian women.
0: There is a pilot for a better, more noir, more morally ambiguous show hidden in this pilot that never felt like continues on to being because yeah. that's like, that's what makes this episode interesting is Olivia Benson is having attention with the yep. police department because justice is not yeah, being doled that, out by
4: them. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, it's that, that line, you know, Craig and telling Stabler, tell Olivia, we don't pick the Vic, you know, and later yeah. there's another scene where he says to Olivia, Hey Olivia, we don't pick the Vic. And, uh, hmm Right. You know, it's this acknowledgement that like, yeah, we're here to enforce the law. And yes, all of this contextual information is like an injustice has been corrected. But all we are concerned about is the fact that this guy was murdered in New York and we are NYPD. Mm -hmm.
3: Better crime fiction would wrestle with that idea of, well, yes, technically a justice was done because this horrible person who got away with the rape of you said it was 67 women yeah that's what it says
2: 67 yep
3: this monster who got away with the rape of 67 women was murdered castrated yeah fine cool yeah it's fine and it would better crime fiction would sort of wrestle with that and have the characters like wrestle with it more that yeah in the like you get what I'm saying, that like Law and Order is so status quo-y in how it approaches the justice system that, well, yeah, that's just what we're here for, so let's not really question it, just do it. Where right. and that's where this episode feels an out like an outlier because other episodes will do similar things like this, but not in the way that this one does. This where one genuinely
0: Benson, deals with some ambiguity.
3: It does. That there is like there is an ambiguity of the system failed and it was corrected but because you are an agent of the state you have to and you have to abide by the laws which in this case are that you have to punish the victims of this monster who got justice for what happened that's an interesting noir story and that's also why this
2: episode stands out you know there is there's kind of just an overarching content warning on our show but i'd like to put a A particular emphasis on one right now because i want to talk about the uh the interviews that elliot and olivia do with some of stefan tanzik's uh victims because you really have to understand just what a shitbag that he was i mean there was one example of a woman that he raped every day for 23 days and when Mm -hmm. he was drunk and he couldn't uh get it up he would rage he would rape her with objects with a wrench, a broom, his pistol, whatever he could find, because he insisted on inflicting violence on her, whether he was getting sexual gratification from it or not.
0: And if I'm correct, is this the same victim who uh, went to school with him as a kid? And that's yes, part of it too. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that was that was Oy, that was yeah. that
2: victim. Yep. And she got to see her old schoolmate raping her every day for for a fortnight. You know what I mean? Or two fortnights
0: um in the like interviews with the victims though i will say um dick wolf as exploitation director comes out again though um i i really one the scene from this episode that stuck with me because i we i watched this like a week ago now was the scene with um the woman who had had her eyes uh fucked up what, what were they cut out or what, what was that
2: she was blinded was with burned. like acid or something yeah yeah, yeah. and so it fashion. just yeah
0: it's the closest the show has to the kind of gore that would be in an, an exploitation movie. Cause it really is some, like some intense makeup on the eyes and it, it is, it still works. It's still emotional, but it is also hyper emotional in how it's delivered. You know, she's like, he did this to me gesturing at very dramatically at her hand, you know, at her eyes and stuff. It's, um, it, it it's almost campy which is kind of what makes it more unsettling to me um i think it's
4: a well done scene
0: to be clear but like i don't know yeah
4: this is a scene that feels out of place in another way like you know we were talking about the the sort of casual hom- homophobia and transphobia jokes earlier like you there there is a large chunk of this show where you can't really imagine uh a sort of positive depiction of a woman praising Allah for the death of her rapist. Uh,
0: yeah. 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 This is, this is pretty wild that they, this they, is how you know this is pre nine
3: eleven 11 show. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. You got an audience cheering on someone saying, Lach, Lachbar, like, Oh man, you could not do that anymore. Even but now it would feel, even Now it would be hard. Yeah. It would
3: oh be yeah. Hard.
0: The... Even though in this instance, it's her
3: saying that from the news that, this monster is dead, oh, God is great. Yeah, I think most people would feel that way.
2: Well, I thought it was very interesting that Olivia took that tone with that victim. is because she was there to ask that woman, did you kill this man? And when she gets there and sees that this woman is clearly incapacitated by her her blindness, she goes, I just wanted to let you know that he's dead. I wanted to give you some relief in knowing that the monster who did this to you is dead. And that is totally stepping way outside of the role of 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 police officer and and Elliot's kind of uh, rolls rolls his eyes when she does that
3: which again, this feels like something that state like stabler would do this in later on yeah. later later on like he would be the one that would say. We we got this we got
4: this bastard yeah. we got this like he I took him apart or, with my bare hands like I made that's it. That's a later.
0: <laughs> I'm shipping him back to Serbia in five installments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did not die easy. Like
3: this is a, a getting away from the you know character differences later on. As a cop, that's a wild thing to do for someone who you're approaching as a suspect to then just 180 to let them know that someone who you are supposed to be treating as a victim, yeah, they're dead. I just want you to know so that you're able to, yeah. you can go on with your life now. Like the, the, the purpose of the police is not to bring comfort, but Benson is going out of her way to bring comfort to this woman. That this monster who did this horrifying thing to her is gone and he did not go out painlessly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we move on and quickly give some more backstory to the episode and talk about the real life monsters that this is inspired off of. Some, some war crime, true, some true war crime. This doesn't, we don't, this isn't a genre. That we're inventing. Don't right make, now. This genre. Do not uh, make this, this a genre. Genre. <laughs> Do not make this a drama. Please do not
4: make this a You. Oh my god. No. No. Like as as a fan of like that kind of falls into like the true crime and weird military Tom Clancy shit. You don't want true crime moms and Tom Clancy dads joining forces. <laughs> no. No.
3: That's a talking that's about
0: a their favorite in serbian general or something. Oh god. Oh, uh, it gets. uh oh, yeah.
4: Like that. It's yeah. You're doing some accelerationism there at that point. Yep. I don't know you what's accelerating, too, but I, I do not want something to bad. go there. Something, the contradictions bad. will be heightened.
0: <laughs> the formation of podcast fascism. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Desire, are you ready uh, to be at a textbook talking about the right a pre
0: textbook of- about a war crime <laughs> the podcast the good apples accidentally through elaborate domino effect causes the rise of by birth. by the the founding the
4: wipe. genre of true war crime
2: <laughs> we the just good we podcast. just have to find we just have to find the right texas board listener in our <laughs> audience oh and they God. will and they will make our show their curriculum all that's that's all we got to do is we got to get the influence of one texan on a school board and yeah we, they don't
0: they don't legislate shit we down too can, we can be funded by stuff. the
4: state of texas <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right i'm willing, well, to,
0: I'm willing um, to take some of that buddy let's go ahead and assume that uh most people don't know a lot about the bosnian war or the yugoslav wars right i would assume that's not common knowledge because it was a pretty conf- complicated conflict that happened in the 90s and so even in the 90s everyone's like what the fuck is going on over there like even when it was on the news it was
4: uh, hard to follow don't bother me i'm playing pogs right now <laughs> i'm over here at the end of history what's
3: what is pogs
4: <laughs> playing playing pogs you know the, ga- the game what are pogs
3: what what he's, trying to make you feel old. he's trying
4: to make you feel yeah. old Josh don't fall uh, no I literally
0: <laughs>
3: do not know what pogs is uh
4: they're they, back they, in al form uh amazing so they were little circles of cardboard it was like what if a trading card was a small circle of cardboard sometimes it would be foil plastic whatever you could fit them in tubes so you'd collect them they had cool pictures on them um and then you'd get bigger heavier metal or plastic ones called slammers and you'd you'd stack them up in stacks and drop the heavy one on them and it was supposed to be a game and like you 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 win the pogs uh it came and We're, went pretty briefly um like just my real flash in the pan shit my appearance Cossivated.
0: on worst of all possible worlds we make a bunch of pog jokes uh so check that out so i'm assuming most people don't know about the yugoslav wars right um so i'm gonna go ahead and try to give as fast as i can some historical context here to what the fuck was going on so uh hopefully uh, hopefully everyone will be on the same page um so assuming everyone knows absolutely nothing everyone listening uh yugoslavia was a former country in the soviet union right it was formed in 1945 and it united a bunch of different little nations into one big nation and it mostly work be- worked because it was led by Josip Broz Tito, who was um, a pretty well-liked communist leader. Um, like uh, overall, like Yugoslavia was Tito. Um, unfortunately, Tito is a human being, so he died um, in 1980. And after he died, the economy crashed <laughs> and um, things got pretty bad in Yugoslavia pretty fast. Because all those uh, little little nations that were put into one big nation, they all kind of hated each other. Uh, like before then, and it was just you know it was just the the power of communism and the leadership of Tito that kind of prevented those contradictions from ever becoming a problem. Keep in mind, you know this is where Franz Ferdinand was shot, starting World War One. Right, like this is this is a always been just a a place with a lot of tension, uh, specifically around nationalism and senses of ethnic identity. So. It gets pretty complicated uh, because essentially like as soon as the Soviet union falls in 1991, all these nations declare independence um, at various orders. And so like, there's a bunch of wars that break out, but zooming in on the stuff that we're focusing on here. um, You know, we we have Serbia, which was Christian Orthodox. We have Croatia, which is Catholic. um, And then we have Bosnia, which is, you know, Muslim. So Serbia, you know. It was the nation that had Yugoslavia's capital in it. It was also where most of the Yugoslav military was from. Uh, So Serbia kind of felt it was natural they were going to continue on Yugoslavia. They were going to kind of be Yugoslavia too. But, uh, you know, others were not necessarily happy about that plan. So Bosnia declared independence and then Serbs who were in Bosnia decided to declare independence from Bosnia which nobody recognized except for Serbia, who then used it as an excuse to invade Bosnia. War breaks out. Croatia is on the side of Bosnia for a while, and then they kind of make their own third side for a while, and lots of fighting, lots of uh, brutal, brutal, brutal war. So after this war kind of carries on, what, what it starts to really be is between the Bosnian Serbs and then the Bosnian, like the Bosniaks. So Bosnian Serbs are those Serbs that are living in Bosnia. And they're getting a bunch of weapons and funding and all that from Serbia. Um, And the Bosniaks are starting to get increasingly defended by NATO, the West, the UN, although they kind of blow it in their own way. And that's, you know, its own whole other history. But, oh boy, did they. So, like, what what essentially begins to happen is the Bosnian Serbs start to engage in ethnic cleansing. Uh, We see concentration camps spring up. We see villages get gunned down all sorts of awful stuff one of the most infamous cases from it is the Srebrenica massacre which was 8000 men and boys were just like marched into a field and gunned down the uh the guy behind that only recently um and by recently I mean within the last 10 years went to the Hague and actually got tried for war crimes so yeah anyway it's pretty awful and on top of all that rape was a big thing um like there there were rape Camps, concentration camps that were specifically w- women, um, you know, being put in those camps, and that's where our fictional character in this episode is kind of based around. So that's that's kind of the context, um, you know, most of this kind of takes place in. If you want to know a little more about the Bosnian genocide. Um, the, uh, there's a good documentary about the butcher of Bosnia, the guy who is behind the Srebrenica massacre. Um, it's a good documentary called the trial of Radko Mlodic. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but look in the show notes for that. So if you want to watch that, it's pretty good. So there's uh, there's all that fun context. Um,
2: um, I do have a couple of numbers and dates to add. Um, sure, if you'd like. um well, notably the war began in April of 1992 and it formally ended with the, Dray- uh, with the Dayton Accords on December fifteenth of nineteen ninety five. So the United States was instrumental in ending the war. At least, if you are to accept kind of the um, traditional understanding of how how the, the uh,
0: America can understanding yeah, of war, yeah.
2: Uh, um, <laughs> But the, uh, the population of Bosnia was 43.7% Muslim Bosniaks, 31.4% Serb, and 17.3% Croat. Um, now, during the conflict, over 100,000 soldiers and civilians were killed. Um, that being said, uh, 65% of the death toll was the Muslim, was the Muslim Bosniaks. And notably, over one million refugees fled Bosnia. um Between yeah. one third and two thirds of their entire population was displaced as a result of the conflict.
0: Yeah, which this would be maybe the if, if you're probably um if you're probably between like my age, Chimera's age, or Josh's age, I'd say like you know, I don't know, uh, you know, early thirties, late twenties. This would kind of be like the the in the moment you would see. Kind of some of the connection to that too because there was a huge influx of bosnian immigrants into the u.s and so like i grew up around a lot of newly arrived bosnian immigrants in des moines yeah i worked with a lot of bosnians so that that in part their their presence was because of this this conflict yeah pretty pretty horrific brutal stuff um um did you have anything else you wanted to add kelly before we kind of move on
2: um well i guess i had um i had a book actually um, that I wanted to bring up. It was actually a book that you loaned to me, Josiah, um, called Balkan Holocaust and Serbian and Croatian Victim-Centered Propaganda and the War in Yugoslavia by David mm. Bruce MacDonald. Um, I really enjoyed, um, you know, you loaning me that book. I gave it a read. And um, definitely my takeaway from it was that the best way to understand the, the conflict in former Yugoslavia was that there were seven distinct national groups that had lived together in peace since 1945, and then four of the groups began to advance the same claim that they were victims of the first genocide since World War II. So it was Mm -hmm. the Serbs, the the Bosnian Muslims, the Croats, and the Kosovar Albanians, all four of them were claiming to be fighting the war to protect against their own group's annihilation. Is that's yeah, that's the best way to understand the conflict? Is all four groups, at least in terms of their propaganda, believed that they were they were fighting mm-hmm. a war of defense?
0: Yeah, there's a there's a good chunk from um, it's it's not a really related book, but uh, the the biography of Limanov by Emmanuel Carar Carr- I don't remember um, show notes etc. Uh, Josh, you've also read that. There's a chunk in that chapter on yes. the Yugoslav war and um you know he he makes this point where it's like from from a distance it was easy early on in the war to believe that um you know because everyone was claiming they were the jews in world war ii all the nationalities were making that claim about themselves and the serbs were making that claim about themselves but what um you know the career kind of argues he, he makes a good point is like once you actually like start seeing these pictures coming out of the uh You know, these anecdotes and all this stuff coming out of the the conflict. It's like, well, the Serbs do not seem to be a good comparison to being the Jews in this conflict because they have all of the military power from the Serbs from Serbia. So they're like, they're not like about to be genocided. They're the ones with all the weapons and shit. And Bosnia, the reason that the Bosnians are tend to do like more guerrilla warfare or whatever is because they don't have that like military support in the beginning. It's just not a quite fair match, um, as much as it's framed as if it's, like, the fear that the Bosnians are going to do, you know, genocide the Serbs. Although, on the other hand, there, is, there was past history to kind of justify that fear at the time. So, it, it, it was a pretty messy conflict. Um, there's a reason most people don't remember it very well. It's because, like, as you get into it, it gets really hard to, like, follow.
3: I should also note, uh, don't attempt to look up online discussions about the Yugoslav War. You are going to see a new kind of racism that you are not familiar <laughs> with.
2: Yeah, I definitely, definitely experienced that when doing the research for this episode. Is boy howdy, there is a lot of genocide denial up in there.
0: So mm. much. Yeah. And uh, it's, it,
3: we're, I, I think that if you are a politically informed individual at this point in the year of our lord 2020 uh 2023 or you know um whenever you're listening to this if the united states is still a country by the time you listen to <laughs> this um by this point we're if you are a politically informed individual on the internet you know about holocaust denial but that's not you don't see as much of it as you
0: do this kind of genocide denial it's weird that there's so much of it there's a lot of it you know and you know to like part of why it is is because unlike some of those other uh genocides you can point to bosnian groups that committed war crimes in the in the conflict so you're able to be like well look they both did it but it's like okay yeah but only one side did have concentration camps like let's be real here um So that is a different thing. Not that, you know, the Bosnian bombing of like, like civilians or whatever is, is acceptable. But like, you know what I mean? It's, it's a complicated conflict and, and genocide and ethnic cleansing did take place in it. It's the evidence seems to increasingly point to some, especially when looking at like Srebrenica, like some real fucked up stuff happened there.
2: I will say notably the, uh, United States position on the genocide is the CIA actually reported that 90% of the atrocities during the Bos- Bosnian War were committed by the Serbs. Um, and they also pointed out that the Serbs used rape in, as an instrument of terror and that there were estimates of 12,000 to 50,000 women were raped during the war, most of which were Muslim women.
0: Now, obviously, I you know, with CIA s- statistics, I would mm-hmm. be... Wary of those, but um, but yeah, I mean the numbers, I mean the numbers are pretty similar when it comes out of the trials at the Hague as well. So, um, regardless of where you're getting the statistics from, it's it it's bad regardless. It should not whether it's like seven controversial to say that (laughs) yeah, yeah, like the
3: the the number is high, extremely high, um, and it should be controversial to you say yeah, this was a it was a massive number but i i would caution that off of this episode if you decide to read about the bosnian genocide uh, you, be careful because there, the genocide denial is very rampant in discussion and writing of the conflict
0: yeah in, in part because a lot of the conflicts from this are not really take like done um you know the 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 balkans could the balkans could could break out into stuff any any second now again cuz i mean the 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 there is some pretty rampant ultra-nationalism, you know
2: okay so i wanted to bring up uh this book that i researched for the podcast uh Balkan genocides holocaust and ethnic cleansing in the 20th century by uh paul uh, moyes and um he is a religious studies professor. Um, He is also a native of the former Yugoslavia, um, and he studied in Belgrade for two years. So here are some notable things about his background. Um, He, this book is very, I have a complex relationship with this book because on one hand, he provides a lot of good um, analysis on um, the Yugoslav war. Or the Bosnian War, but on the other hand, he um, does some, some light denial of the, of the ethnic cleansing being state-sponsored. State um, he believes the ethnic cleansing and the rapes happened, but he believes that they weren't state-organized, um, despite the fact that there is overwhelming evidence that it was. Um, so he's, he's a really complicated author, but the thing that I really appreciate about him is that he puts a definition to the term genocidal rape, which is a concept that doesn't come into existence actually until the Bosnian War. And that's when, when specific attention will be paid to the concept of genocidal rape, um, in history. So it, it is significant that the, the Bosnian War Brought about a new type of warfare, um, and that's genocidal rape and concentrated, um, you know, concentration camps for women and girls to be raped at. It was um, there was reports um, that this author liked to highlight that if um, if a group of Serbs had um, raided a village and the women of the village were hidden or escaped then uh, the youngest men of the troop would then uh, experience the sexual violence instead of, instead of the women of the town. Um, so there, this author kind of implies that um, some men may have been coerced into um, doing some of the rapes, um, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about that point.
0: Yeah, because yeah, it doesn't he just like try to keep saying it's it's wartime rape, not genocidal rape, which just feels I don't know, a little pedantic to me. But yeah, whatever. Especially when it yeah. is an ethnic war, specifically like a war over ethnic lines, feels like that's a bit.
3: Yeah, we we had been talking about this this book for a little while since uh, Khmer had had started reading it, and there is that. That feels like soft denialism. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It does. You know, I, I don't know if I want to say that he intended that to be the case. I, I he may not have. Very well may have not intended for it to come across that way, but it is hard when you know the details about the Yugoslav War and the Bosnian um the Bosnian War. That if you know the details about this, that saying that feels wrong
2: Yeah it's just it's weird to me that he takes this time in this book and th- and that's why I have a complicated relationship with the book because he does take the time to put kind of a definition to the term genocidal rape and a good characterization of what it is and how it is um, organized and enforced by the state. Um, But um, in doing so, he also then turns around and says, yeah, so I think that rape is just a thing that happens between individuals. And at the end of the day, those men just decided to make the decisions they made. And it had nothing to do with the with the structures that be." Which is crazy because he gives the definition of genocidal rape as the systemic exploitation and terrorization of captured women, sometimes with the express purpose of impregnation, carried out for nationalist purposes related to ethnic cleansing and genocide.
1: Mm.
2: He also says that these are sometimes called genocidal rapes or uh, systemic rape or state rapes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, I I think that's what's interesting about this episode because it's, we're starting off with not with a crime that's like rape as a weapon of war. I think you even have that written in the notes here, but like it's like, it's interesting that Dick Wolf starts on that note because that's like a different type. Like it's not, now I don't want to act like one is worse or better than the other or whatever, but like it's a different, it is a different category of rape than, what a lot of the show is going to be dealing with as things go on, you know?
2: Well, that's exactly it is the, the, the Stanford encyclopedia of philosophy actually talks about rape as a weapon of war. And um, they talk about how the rape of female civilians is often a humiliation right for the men on the other side who cannot in masculinity's terms, protect their women. Many of these acts make women's bodies into a medium of men's expression the means through which one group of men says what it wants to say to another.
1: Yeah. So there, there
2: is, there is a very different way of understanding rape than, than some of the other cases that we'll talk about in later episodes.
0: Yeah. This is the same thing that uh, the French did in Algeria as well. Um, There was um, a, you know, a rape campaign and it was specifically targeting, especially, You know, especially like, like, uh, you know, raping women in front of their spouses or fathers. Because it was supposed to kind of be like, I don't know, humiliating for everyone involved. You know what I mean? Like it's, or for all the victims involved there. Like it's not, um, it's supposed to humiliate the the male as well. For being unable to protect or whatever. So, right. So we're dealing with a pretty heavy and kind of rare for the show kind of, um, you know, form of sexual violence or whatever so um you know going back to the show now uh you know we, we have the, the they do an autopsy on stefan tanzik and it turns out that he's uh he's killed by more than one person Haha. Uh-huh.
3: and there's a there's a note here uh kelly you want to take that
2: oh um yeah the uh the women who confessed to to killing tanzik um they They had symptoms of PTSD when they um, were talking about the stabbing and dismemberment. They they find out that multiple women did it, and when they talk to these women, the women experience PTSD um from from the assault is they described during the killing um they were thinking about how he would would rape them and the things he would say to them that he would tell them he was going to shoot them when he was done using them um they they thought back to the kind of terror that they experienced in bosnia and that's kind of the mindset they were in they claim uh, when they killed stefan tanzik spontaneously Supposedly spontaneously, which it's very clearly not. It,
0: yeah, it's a little, a little ambiguous.
3: Yeah, it, it, it's know. that it, it be a be a hell of a coincidence. If it was just a spontaneous thing. Oops. Yep.
0: <laughs> Basically, she figures out who the yeah the two women who killed killed uh, killed killed the Stefan are. And, you know, essentially the, it becomes kind of like this, the back to this tension we've been talking about between justice and the legal system, you know, o- Olivia Benson kind of does um, some bad copping here. You know, she, she, uh, lets the, lets the killers get away with
4: it. Yeah. Basically takes them at their word. They, you know, dodge submitting evidence that you know, let's, you know, where it's pretty obvious that it was premeditated.
2: Well, in Olivia, she tells the women, don't talk to anybody without a lawyer.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: She, she very much picks uh, a side with, uh, with the, with the women instead of the interests of her investigative unit.
4: Cops famously love to tell, tell, uh, people they're questioning that they have a yeah. right to a lawyer. They yeah. famously <laughs> love to do that.
3: They do that all the time. It's, uh, it, it's, it's your Miranda rights, and they also say that right before they say the Miranda rights. You know, you uh, you know, you you should you should really really call a lawyer before before I arrest you.
0: Oh man, you know it's 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 funny because you know yeah, so Olivia Benson, you know Olivia getting everyone out. Like there's this this quote from Craig in near the end where you know he's like, "You just use your get out of jail free card, Olivia. There's only one in the pack." Which um, you know, as as true. Chimera was it's noting not this when. Chimera was noting this when, uh, we were watching it together is kind of like in a weird way, the show is going like, you know, this moral ambiguity we've been talking about how this is a pilot for a better show at times. Um, this is kind of them going like, this is the one time we're going to allow, you know, like this, this ambiguity in the future though. No, you better believe the cops are going to be on the right side. This is the one time the police have been able to fail and not actually get Stefan. And some street it justice is, needed to happen.
2: It is so so funny that he says this because it's like Dick Wolf is basically telling us not to expect such a punchy episode going forward. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's not going to be a show um, where people are getting off for their crimes under under that squad's name.
0: Let's uh let's dive in. Where did he get this punchier story from? that's right the memoir sleepers and the movie sleepers which uh josh i know you you also watched jackal yes. did you get a chance to watch it or no uh half of it did not get okay. a chance to finish it but i enjoyed
3: what i watched
0: it's it's pretty, it's good. A, it's pretty good it's a pretty it's good movie
3: solid like like 90s legal war thriller
0: Mm-hmm. Oh man, let's, I'm trying to think of how to do the fastest version of this story, but basically yeah. what sleepers is about is, you know, it, it's following some, some Italian kids growing up in, in hell's kitchen in the ru- really rough, rough neighborhood. And they, they get into some delinquency. Um, Actually, it's actually a pretty sad scene. They accidentally uh, kill someone. Do they kill him or just hospitalize him? Either they accidentally harm I, someone that they don't. I was under the do.
4: impression the guy died.
0: Yeah they accidentally kill a guy when they just meant to steal some hot dogs from him. And it is a hot dog vendor and they, they go off to, to a juvenile detention center. They go off to a boy's prison where a guard played by Kevin Bacon, which is a really strange uh, (laughs) whole aspect of this um, uh, sexually assaults the boys for years on end or the year and a half they're in there, whatever. Um, And it, it traumatizes them. It's, it's pretty brutal. It cuts to them as adults. Two of the most uh violent kind of went in the crime route with their lives of the boys run into him at a at a, a bar. They run into Kevin Bacon, the rapist, and uh they shoot him in the dick and um kill him. And you you kinda you obviously you're cheering that on. And then the it turns it's, into a legal thriller. Go, go ahead, Josh, you're about to say something. Oh
4: yeah, no, that scene's incredibly badass. Uh it's in it's, rocks. It's it's great. <laughs>
0: It's so good Um, Yeah, and so then essentially It turns into a whole community Doing street justice because (laughs) It's a a legal Thriller where um, You know, one one of them went on to go to Law school played by um, God, who's the obvious guy uh, Brad Brad Pitt Pitt. Yeah, thank you You know, you got Brad Pitt being this awesome um, Prosecutor, he takes the case Prosecuting his two Schoolmate friends, and then butchers his own prosecution intentionally to get them off and uses the stand to out other rapists from the from the oh man, it rocks it's a, it's a, um,
4: yeah, no it's a it's a righteous conspiracy. It's like what if it's the good so guys good. pulled off their conspiracy?
0: Uh, it's just a good like satisfying like watching a like a Rube Goldberg machine working. Like, the final 20 minutes of it, that's what it feels like. They've just set up all the, like... All the the various witnesses who are gonna lie on behalf of people and stuff and it some street justice happens. they even turn over um, God, there is uh, there is a, a kid that they are in the jail with um, this this black kid who gets brutally murdered by the oh, guards yeah. by racist guards and I, I initially was uncomfy about that because I'm like, ah, oh, you introduce one black character and he's just a sacrificial lamb. but no, they remember him. And they get to have some brutal justice on the guard for doing it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah,
4: that I was like, I mean, that's that's part of the yeah, that part was I'm like, oh, really? But but then there's like the the voiceover, like, you know, we really didn't think through, we were kids. We didn't think through the consequences of this. Like we've, you know, we thought you thought, you know, proving this point this day outweighed any consequences and we got a kid killed. So it's like. So they cool, have to do it they, to kind
0: of justify themselves, like later on in life, and like right. do some—no, well, not justify, but rather to to make a you know some sort of amends—is like turning this piece of shit prison guard over to uh, the kid's family yep. and just letting them do what they want with him. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs>
4: pretty, yeah, pretty good. Check um, it out.
0: <laughs> uh, we spoiled all of it, but...
4: <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen the 1996 film Sleepers by now, sorry we ruined sorry it. Sorry for ruining <laughs> it. <laughs> um, oh, man. But... but uh, um... No, so I watched it last night, and it is it is wild how much it it kind of informs the storytelling and, and the style even, because they're... Uh, I mean, we're... You know sleepers is this uh you know the cops are explicitly not trusted in it the system is explicitly not trusted uh it does have that like documentary feel to it and you know ends with the like uh the the state the new york state board of youth correction deny any of the allegations deny any of this this happened uh deny any abuse occurred in their facilities um Right. So Dick Wolf sits through that movie and he's like, Oh, I like what you're doing here, but uh, what if the cops were better? I mean, it, that's obviously where he, he lies. But I, I think he was, he did at least pick up on that. Like, oh, that's the tension is like the cops are just bureaucrats with guns. They are concerned just with the law. And mm-hmm. even if some real justice is being carried out, like they're, you know, what, how, how do they, what's, what's the best compromise they can get to? Cause at, you know, at the end of it, it's like, oh it was premeditated murder but we kind of let them just get involuntary manslaughter and and this sort of light sentence to you know yeah. slap on the wrist basically because that's all they have in their power to sort of yeah approximate the real the real justice of course you know subsequently uh <laughs> we will ditch all of this uh Uh, for oh the cops are always right and uh, DNA science Mm -hmm. is perfect and infallible yeah Um, it, it
0: uses the sleepers justification for this like street justice and even the mob being a better source of justice than the cops which is like why sleepers is wild um it takes that and then replaces it with this is a justification for why cops should sometimes break the rules which is not which is kind of like it just turns into a way of kind of becoming a reactionary argument then because yeah right now we of course are sympathetic to olivia benson let's be clear because like this guy (laughs) deserves it but also it is arguing that this argument will get pulled out when it is not this way it is not a clear-cut justice kind of case it'll be like well why didn't you read this guy his miranda rights or whatever and it's like you know oh because you know this is the this is what cops have to do they sometimes have to break the law to protect the law you know and jack this, bauer shit
2: this is the perfect time to bring up uh, a review that was made on reviewstream.com Um, that said that this episode was significant because it raised the question as to whether everyone should get equal justice or if there should be exceptions based on who the person was. And they gave it a positive review. So, the murder of a terrible person or a criminal, such as the one we have in the Law & Order SVU or in Sleepers. Does that person deserve justice? if if they were if they were a rapist their whole life do they deserve justice for their murder probably not nah.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that, on a, on an abstract political level i'm like yeah they probably do we probably need a society that treats these cases equally because the other op- option is better but my god but on a personal reaction, level yeah on a
3: personal well, yeah. level yeah it's fine
4: right <laughs> um yeah it's Right. It's, it's that tension where like, oh yeah, in a, in a just world, if we had a just state, like, yes, we, we would, um, you know, give up our, you know, cede our right to violence in a just state. We don't live in a just state, (laughs) you know, this, this episode, you know, it is, you know, leaning more pro cop, it does not, you know, exist in a just state, you know, it is a reflection of America at the end of the 20th century. And, uh, I don't know. We're just—if we're talking in real terms, like let's call it cosmic justice or something like that. Yeah, there you go. Human justice. Uh, You're so far away from it to begin with, you know, because the state can only function in this bureaucratic. Like this act was committed, we need to respond this way. You know, I'll. You know, this person's character be damned. But like, yeah, then you just learn a little bit, and it's like. Oh, even, uh, you know, punishing for this, like, you know, it, it's almost making, increasing the impact of what this man did to those people. I, yeah. I, <laughs> um, right. At the same time, you don't really want to, like, legalize stabbing and castration. Like, yeah, it's probably I, good that that's not legal to do. Well, yes. <laughs> Just <I> willy-nilly. <laughs> I, I there like
2: mutilation. There's just something so intimate about the, the genital mutilation that happens. It's, hey, it's such an bliss. intimate crime.
0: Speaking of which, it's it's a it's both an intimate crime and it is also a really gratuitous crime. It is. Hey, did you guys know Dick Wolf's kind of an exploitation director? You know, I'm annoyed <laughs> hey, about I this. I didn't know that. Hey, this That's is a rape revenge movie. Literally, you are right. this is. <laughs> this, is... <laughs> this is. I spit on your grave, man. Oh
3: is... <laughs> man, yeah, I didn't even think about that. This is I spit on your grave, but from the perspective of. Like, like cops the,
0: investigating it afterwards yeah. or something. That know?
3: is actually a fascinating way to think of this episode. You're viewing the... It's kind of like how True Detective is a cosmic horror story from the perspective of the people who are investigating after all of the wacky cosmic stuff happened. This is a rape revenge movie through the perspective of the cops investigating the aftermath of the movie. In the same way that Savage Land, if you haven't watched Savage Land, you should go watch Savage Land. It's very good. One of
0: the best found footage movies ever made. Good. Yeah, great movie.
3: It, it's, It is one of the best movies I have ever seen. It is a crime that is not talked about more than it already is. It's slowly getting there, but if you have not watched it, it's free on YouTube. Please go watch it. A lot of the themes that we will talk about in terms of race and how that is perpetuated through state violence and um racial characterization is talked about in savage land but like how savage land is a certain kind of horror movie but you're covering the aftermath of it it's the it's that same it's that same thing wow okay i did not even yeah think about it's
4: a uh, no it, it's it's the um i almost want to call savage land like not even found footage it's like epistemic horror like so much yeah, of the tension is yeah. just realizing like you know, well, how, it, you know, how, how truly blind the official sources are like, yeah, <laughs> uh, especially um, if it's disinterested in, in a particular thing. It's maybe um, not quite found footage as,
0: as, mockumentary. It's a, it's a mockumentary horror. Um, Cause it's, it's very much about also like the documentary format, which we can tie back. Oh God, we're not, we're not getting off track. That's kind of Dick Wolf's whole thing too, right? He's interested in the documentary style. He is kind of like. He likes, you know, Battle of Algiers. We talked about that last time. You know, he likes his movies that he, are
2: he is. fake and documentaries. I, yeah, I will say he does write another episode that is also kind of in line with this episode in it being a rape revenge fantasy. Um, so if you want to watch another one of these after listening to this episode um aside from season 1 episode 1 you can check out contrapasso which is in season 19 if you want another story of a group of women who castrate their abuser
0: yeah and specifically the act of castrating that's straight up cuz cuz again yep. on the, in the mo- you know in the if this were the rape revenge movie you would see that in graphic detail mm-hmm. you know what i mean like that's that's um yeah and that's a specific kind of act of like cruel uh, you know I don't know yeah cr- cruel emasculating this this rapist yeah it's awesome um, but yeah you know yeah so he's coming from that like that rape revenge fantasy or whatever and and you get to see like that's kind of um, Benson's position too is this kind of like she's in this you know in this to, to kind of enact vengeance on sex perverts you know that's why she's doing the SVU thing um, and there's this kind of uh, conversation with her mom the only time uh that the first and last time we ever see olivia's mom serena in the show and uh we have a quick little uh chunk of the show here who wants to be benson who wants to be serena
2: oh i would love to be serena
0: am i about to be benson
4: i think you're about to be benson
0: hi i'm olivia benson (laughs) i wish i had stabbed stefan tanzik myself
2: i hate what this unit is doing to you
0: come on you're a rape victim don't you understand what she did
2: I understand it. That does not mean I condone it.
0: Are you saying you wouldn't have done that if you had the chance?
2: Is that what you would have wanted me to do?
0: Yeah. I hate him for what he did to you.
2: So do I. And if he hadn't, you wouldn't be here.
0: So, kind of a wild little chunk there, though, because the show still is trying to moralize itself above this rape revenge fantasy, you know? It's still... It still plays itself above it, you know what I mean. Um,
3: he can't. He can't help himself.
1: Yeah, Dick yes, Wolf yeah. can't
3: can't help himself when he was writing this. Like I have to, I have to let people know that that we're that we're going higher than you know simple cruelty.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, but this is this something is, I, I kind of wanted to talk about because Chimera. Y- Back me up on this. This is pretty radically different from the way that Benson talks about the relationship with her mom going forward for the rest it of is. the show. It is.
2: Like, it is. really I, different. I really, I really like that you brought that up because it is so totally different. She talks about her mom as being very abusive and being um, very treating Olivia poorly for being a product of rape. But in this, in this quote, we see Serena telling her, oh, like, you know, I hate him for what he did to me, but I still got you from it, didn't I? Like, her expressing gratitude that uh, her child exists. Um, But in later, later seasons, Olivia describes her relationship with her mother as being very abusive and that her mother uh, resented her for being um, her, her rapist father's child.
3: Yeah they kind of just act like this moment in this episode does not exist. And it's so weird because we see Benson's mom and sh- and Serena is I'm not like super affectionate to her daughter, but like she what this line is supposed to be is like an affirmation of I am I am still glad that you exist. And that's not the way that she talks that that Benson talks about her mother in the entire show in fact um i it's i will admit that it has been a minute since i've watched the latest episodes of law and order but if i remember correctly benson is uh is now a mom and she expressly Mm -hmm. does not want to be her mother she wants to be the opposite of of She wants to have the opposite impact that her mother had. That's so weird watching this episode and then watching any other episode in the show where her mother is brought up.
2: Um, Well, notably, I'm sure we'll talk about this at length on another episode. But notably, uh, Olivia is she does become a mom in later seasons, and she specifically becomes a mom to a, a adopted child that is the product of rape. Is she she chooses to recreate her own dynamic with her mom and go about their relationship completely differently.
3: And I just think that it's so interesting that I, I don't know how to take it. Like it it just for me feels like they had two directions in their head of well, they. Dick Wolf had two directions of where do I want to take this character? Like if we if we wanna go, mm. let's step into Dick Wolf's brain for a minute when he's oh God. formulating <laughs> It's a horrible place, isn't it? <laughs> My co-hosts in the audience, close your eyes for a moment ima- and imagine yourself. You are Dick Wolf. Number one, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, man, all those ha- airlines are horny for me.
3: <laughs> you, you're you constantly thinking about the airlines and about uh, how great of a writer you are and how awesome I, you are. Uh, but
0: Yeah. Mm.
3: When you're formulating this character, you've got this idea for a cop dynamic of the older jaded detective. It's a classic dynamic, but you want to make it different. Okay. It's a woman. She's the, ch- and this is a, a show about the S- special victims unit. Okay. All right. So she, she's the, she's a product of rape. Okay. All right. How does this character deal with that? What pops in your head with, all right, how, what directions can we take for this character? There's in, for me, I think that Dick Wolf was thinking about two main directions. Either this character had a positive relationship or a negative relationship with the with the parent that raised them. Mm-hmm. This thought experiment, I would like for each co-host to think about, all right, what direction would you take this character?
0: I would make her... Uh, I, I would maybe make her have a positive relationship with her mom. I think they're right. And then honestly, I would make Olivia Benson kind of how she is in this in the first episode, not in how she becomes. If I were the writer, not not saying that's better. That's just how I, I would. I would make her this force of vengeance, probably.
3: <clears throat> Josh, what would you do?
0: I don't know.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd probably go more negative on it personally.
3: So kind of the direction that Dick Wolf went with it after this episode. Yeah. And Chimera. What would you do
2: um well y'all know me I'm exploited as hell, and I would have her have a negative relationship with her mother um so you can really emphasize the drama of a a child who who felt resented by their parent mm-hmm. and and how that plays out as an adult um mm-hmm. that that is a particularly compelling story to me and um it's 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 something that is is unique
3: yeah i pers- i i don't know if i was in that situation if if i was in the writer's room i i would have to take a minute to think about where do i want this character to go but i will say that it seems that the assessment that we're getting from this is that this is an opportunity to for a lot of interpersonal drama to occur versus benson having a good relationship with her mother Versus having an abusive relationship, the abusive relationship just prompts more interpersonal drama and opportunity for drama. Correct.
0: Um, bringing us back here to the very end of the episode, both our episode and uh, the episode that we're talking about, Benson and Stabler, you know, as they're talking about, um, you know, a, a dead woman, the the phone immediately rings for a new SVU case, right? Like the. The, the, the ending is communicating like wow wasn't that heavy and then back to business boys more of this this is kind of what you're gonna you know we're gonna expect this kind of crazy stories like this going forward because this is just a day in the life you know and just um, like that
2: the cycle continues
0: yes kind of funny that it does both it does both uh this is a one-time thing and letting people off but also the drama you got here oh buddy we're gonna give you more of it
3: that's (laughs) it's this is going back to the sort of again the thesis statement that we set up last episode this is good television like this is a great pilot to open up a (laughs) to open up for a police procedural drama this This is is great great. that like Yeah. Like this is this is a great ending for the pilot of a police procedural. It establishes tone, inconsistent as it may be. It establishes the main dynamics of relationships that are going to go forward, no matter how much they change, and establishes like the broad archetypes that we're familiar with and the twists that they put on, and why this show is different from other cop shows, including the original law and order in terms of the content that
0: they're dealing with. Do we have any final thoughts about this before we kind of wrap it up? What's your takeaway? Oh, Um, my takeaway,
2: my takeaway is that Dick Wolf thinks that, uh, the murder and castration of one individual is payback for the entire Bosnian war. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was my read of the episode. (laughs) Fantastic.
4: Yeah. I, Like this one's, this one's really interesting because it's, I I don't think the, the show ever really entertains or contemplates the ineffectiveness or the, um, maybe fundamental wrongness of policing as much as it does in this episode. Um, I don't know. It's like the, you know, it's, it's the characterizations aren't quite there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still a ways from being the show that we know and love, um, but it's also, like, the most honest of them all, in a way, it feels like. It's
3: a pilot to a... I, it is a pilot to a better show. Because yeah. the the issues with law and order will become readily, readily apparent going forward. And for me, this seems like that there was more of an opening for dealing with the negative consequences of policing and the law that you don't just really don't see.
2: Benson is not going to going to get to be uh that fiery again.
3: Not for you a know, while. There are some moments, but it's not it 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 isn't like this. And um, I think that that's what I'm going to miss as we go on with this show as we go
0: on yeah i was going to say i don't know what episode we have picked out for for next episode of this show but i will say regardless the police will be definitely the good guys next time around it will not be as ambiguous as it is in this episode mm. so
4: cherish this while you have it yep um <laughs> uh yeah also like i mean the other the other component i mean right we don't have a Finn tutuola yet uh, and yeah. um, the, uh, the 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 hidden um, secret extra cast member that me and a friend referred to as Captain DNA,
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> because
4: uh, right, I mean, more often than not, you know, their opinion is going to be solidified by DNA test results. They're you know like because the, they can't. It's yeah, it's uh mm, yeah, we have no know, DNA se- at it's, this it, point. yeah. Right, we we go from like this law and order like oh we're all you know seeing both sides of it trying to kind of like uh have some social realism and then i think there's definitely a post csi of part of svu that's like well uh it's sexual victims there's a lot of cum guess we're gonna have to talk about dna most of the time
0: also where we get the most gross descriptions from the show start real coming out in the uh (laughs) in the the, the bodily yeah. fluids territory once, when we like, get the there
3: we're going to have to start a, a <laughs> some kind of game of what are the various <laughs> what are the synonyms worst? for bodily fluids <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> the network television approved yeah uh, the
0: network television approved
4: uh, list yeah well um, I think
0: that's it folks I think that's fit it folks um, I have been Josiah Uh, you can follow me at Josiah W. Sutton on Twitter.com.
2: Uh, I'm Kamira, and you can follow me on Twitter at (laughs) Kelitoris444. Uh,
4: I'm Josh. I am still not online.
3: (laughs) And I'm Jackal, and, uh, I am following my boy Josh's, uh, steps. I am slowly disconnecting myself. Uh, you can find me at Jackal, Jackal on Blue Sky, if you have a blue sky. There you go. Though I'm not posting there very much at the moment.
0: Maybe we'll launch a Discord for the show eventually, we'll see. Um, you could talk to us then. Yeah, then you could... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you everybody for listening, and I, I feel like we should come up with some sort of send-off, but... Um, Dun-dun. Uh, You're supposed
2: dun dun. to plug the Twitter. You're supposed oh,
0: right, to plug our right, right. Twitter. Fuck. And our- oh, oh, I forgot we have that. Thank you so much for listening to The Good Apples. If you like what we're doing here today, make sure to subscribe to the show. New episodes come out every other week. And also go ahead and leave a review. They uh, supposedly help with the algorithm or something. I, I don't really fully understand it. You can also follow us on Twitter at GoodApplesPod. And uh, we also take emails we'll maybe read it on the show or something so email us at the good apples pod at gmail.com and uh we'll see you here in uh in two weeks